everyone, Siobhan Chapman here, and welcome to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. It's Friday morning, which means it's time for the weekend review and preview conversation. My guests will speak to the drivers behind this week's market moves, including what we've seen across rate. We'll also preview what you can expect in the week ahead. Joining us for the conversation, I'm glad to welcome Leslie Falconio, head of Taxable Fixed Income Strategy Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. Welcome, Leslie. We're happy to have you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Good to be here. All right, perfect. Let's get started. So rate activity has been a key driver behind broader moves across the market over the past week. What has been behind this rate movement? Well, I mean, a rate movement is actually quite the understatement given the level of volatility that we've seen. Um, I mean, not just this week, but since, you know, August 1st, we have the 10-year Treasury yield about 120 basis points higher. But the magnitude of this volatility has been really experienced over, you know, this past week given um, a few a few things. I mean, first off, we all know the FOMC meeting and the revision of the dot plot was a bit unexpected, you know, on the, around the 21st of September, which initially pushed interest rates higher as the market readjusted to the Fed rhetoric, you know, and the market readjusted to the confidence that the entire FOMC has really conveyed that price stability will be over growth. And after that market adjusted, we had a little bit of calm until we saw some monitoring fiscal concerns coming out of the UK, which pushed the 10-year gilt up almost 100 basis points in three days, only to actually be all then confronted with a buying program that they're going to be implemented, which in terms of U.S. interest rates, you know, we saw the U.S. 10-year yield actually move over 4% on, on Wednesday, only to come down about 30 basis points you know, within that day, which is actually with the biggest, the largest decline, or the largest treasury move we've seen since March of 2020. So there's the initial variables, as we know, which pushed rates higher was the surprise of the, you know, rhetoric coming out of the Fed, but that really was digested and adjusted. This past week has really more been about what's happening, you know, globally. And just a reminder that, you know, central banks don't work in a vacuum, and there's influences that occur not just in the U.S., which is a silo, but globally that impact U.S. interest rates. How have fixed income markets been responding to this activity in rates? Well, I mean, the first thing is, as we know, I mean, a rise in interest rates of this magnitude and level of volatility is always a large headwind to, uh, you know, underperformance within fixed income. I mean, we always say that it's not necessarily the level, but the velocity. And the velocity the past couple of weeks has just been, you know, really off the charts. You know, we'll, I have a blog out later today, which will talk about the fact that you know, liquidity is, you know, the, you know, the lowest that we've seen in several years. If you take out the March 2020, and same with some of the, you know, what I would call, you know, risk in the system right now, given the unknowns going forward. But when we look at how actually, it, you know, fixed income assets have performed, there's two things. One, I mean, up till this past week, when we look at things like credit spreads, that yes, they've been widening. So given the fact that the Fed is going to be raising interest rates fairly aggressively and very quickly, so they've been winding up. We really hadn't seen, you know, a any kind of disorderly movement, but some asset classes are actually starting to feel some resistance or some pain to this to the shift in the Fed. And a few of them are, you know, for example, you know, the senior loan market has wiped out, you know, you know, about a hundred basis points this month. We have you know, IG corporates that have finally, that have just been trickling wider, you know, have moved fairly, you know, aggressively, you know, 10 basis points in a day or so, which has been, you know, fairly large for that sector this year for one day moves. And then we have those, you know, sectors such as which are higher grade, let's say like tips, 
You know, the tips market, for example, has really felt the headwinds this month given the fact that interest rates have risen and the longer-term break-even inflation expectations have been coming down. And not just coming down slowly, but coming down aggressively. You know, in fact, yesterday alone we saw some of these break-even inflation expectations come down anywhere from, you know, 15 to 20 basis points along the tips curve. Now, when you combine that with rising interest rates, that is a very poor outcome for TIPS performance. And in fact, TIPS are probably one of the largest underperformers in September. They're down about 6.5%. So we're starting to see some, you know, obviously, given strictly given the volatility, some headwinds to fixed income. And the question is, when we look at interest rates, we're seeing this right now. I mean, we saw that. We saw, you know, this knee-jerk reaction up to 4, 4%, but it wasn't sustained. And yields are now starting to trend down a bit lower. So fixed income obviously was caught in the crossfires of you know what was happening in the UK, the corrections in the equity market, the volatility, you know, and also when you put on top of that a little bit of illiquidity in the market, you know, it's causing a bit of underperformance in the sector. So what is your rate outlook through the year end? Well, I mean, look, we're we're looking for rates to come down to, from now to year end, and it, it, the, the difficulty of this market has been, and we see this through the a bit of diverging in opinions whether or not. If, in fact, the Fed moves as aggressively as they stated, whether or not it will, it will enter or produce a softer hard landing. But one of the things that we know now is that the market, you know, had, is now readjusting to those, what we call that dot plot. It's expecting a Fed funds rate of about four and a quarter by the end of the year. It's expecting the terminal to run about four and a half percent in March. So that's all priced in now. Now there's other sectors, or there's others, I should say, headwinds, that's creating volatility in the interest rate market, such as what's happening globally. But overall, we do think the trend will be coming down at the end of the year and continue in the first quarter of, of 23. Again, because of this sort of, you know, illiquidity and people on the sidelines and uncertainty actually how, you know, the economy will play out in the next couple of months in terms of the data, in terms of what inflation or, or the employment will look like over the next several months, you know, there is a bit of, of mentality of staying on the sidelines which is sort of enhancing the illiquidity a little bit. So we feel confident that rates are going to come down, but the timing has been very difficult. And the timing has been difficult because we've just faced a lot of headwinds globally um, and versus what the Fed is saying, which is sort of creating a bit of controversy. So we did hear from a number of Fed officials this week who commented on the economy and monetary policy. Is there anything in particular that stood out to you? Yeah, I mean, we've had, listen, the rhetoric of the Fed, I mean, and I think it's important compared to what we saw, you know, previously, like, you know, three, four months ago, that, you know, there wasn't sort of this, this unified, cohesive theme that they were you know, telling the markets. So you, you always had, you know, a few outliers that believe that the Fed funds rate should be much higher, you know, we're so well below the neutral rate. You had Powell's comments in July saying we were at neutral. So you had this divergence. And, you know, the market took that as the sort of the door to fight the Fed, right? Because there was there was a diverging opinion and there wasn't a clear path um, necessarily. Now, you know, that they've got – now, now they have this much more cohesive voice. Now they're much more cohesive in terms of – Dating their path. Now they're much more cohesive in terms of dating the, what they'll do, um, in terms of having price stability over growth. So the rhetoric that we're really hearing now is really just supporting that notion, whether or not it's 
you know, they obviously think that they believe the economy can withstand, you know, this level of hike in Fed funds rate. And we were sharing the retort that a soft landing, you know, is still possible for some of, of these constituents. But the main theme is still really the, the price stability over growth. And I, and I think that, you know, going forward, as the market is digesting this, we all know that it's not, you know, one good number in inflation or, you know, one good number on the employment uh, uh, number that's going to alter the Fed opinion. I mean, no one believes that the market is really going to, or the, or the data at least for the next month or so, is going to alter the outlook. Three, four months from now might be a different story, but really they're very much a cohesive group in terms of how they're sort of explaining the path to the market. Well, Leslie, looking to the week ahead, what will be taking place that investors should be mindful of? Well, next week is actually going to be a very busy week. Today, we know today is not only month-end, it's quarter-end, right? So when you have these month-end, quarter-ends, you definitely get a bit of window dressing in terms of, you know, altering allocations from whether it's pension funds or institutional accounts or passive managers. But outside of that, when we move forward into next week, there's actually a lot of data, such as, you know, ISM manufacturing, durable goods, but no question, um, outside of the ISM service and manufacturing data, I mean, employment is going to be a highlight that we should look at. But again, you know, it, you need to emphasize, even if the non-farm payroll report, which is expected to be, oh, I think, around 250000 I think it comes in lower, right, than what's anticipated. I would not expect a lower number to alter the path of the Fed, at least not this one time. You would need to have, you know, two or three type of numbers that are well below expectations on the payroll side to even think about the Fed altering its current path of four and a quarter at the end of the year and potentially four and a half percent near the March terminal. Now, that terminal rate could could obviously is the one that could be more in question because there's a longer amount of time to get there. We're going to see much more data before March of 2023. But from now to the end of the year, more than likely the path will probably be, be what the market is pricing in, which is about a four and a quarter Fed funds rate. So there's a lot of data to digest. I just don't think it's going to necessarily alter the path right now. Two months from now, maybe, but today, probably not. All right. Thank you, Leslie. Again, today we have been joined by Leslie Falconio, Head of Taxable Fixed Income Strategy Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office. And as a reminder to our listeners, Top of the Morning is part of the UBS Market Moves podcast channel, which is available where podcasts are found, including on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Visit UBS.com forward slash studios to view the entire podcast offering, as well as UBS trending video series. From UBS Studios, I'm Siobhan Chapman, and thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the global wealth management business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services, Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.